What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm with my good friend and nutrition coach, personal trainer, JB and Rosario. How you doing, dude? Hey, bro. How you been? Been good, man. It's nice to get you on here. We've been uh, chatting on social media for a long time, and, and this is definitely a long time coming. So it's good to have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely got to meet up because I know we live on the East Coast, and it's been my fault. I've been so busy <laughs> with different stuff. Oh, I actually thought I, I, you posted one time that you were in my area. You were at the gym, and I was at the gym. We were just at different yeah. locations, like 15 minutes away. I was like looking around the gym. I was like, is that him? It kind of looks like him. It's like it never met up with someone in social uh, from social media. I'm like, I don't, do I like ask him if it's him? It kind of looks like him. He doesn't have as big a beard, whatever. Um, yeah. 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 So we'll definitely do that. I'm sure once that's, uh, you know, socially distanced, acceptable. Um, yep. For, um, for my listeners who don't follow you, which they all obviously should, uh, give us a little backstory. Tell me how you got into the industry. Tell me what you're doing now. Tell me what your goals are. So I think I started off like many people out there, um, just trying to understand fitness, health, uh, because of my own health. Like I was morbidly obese at one time and I was like, how do I, how do I lose weight? How do I get to the next level as far as my health? Like, how do I feel better about myself? You know, these types of questions that people ask when, um, their health is not doing so well and they start realizing, yeah, I'm not immortal and I probably shouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing. Uh, and then for me, you know, I asked around. You often get advice from family friends. So I got advice from my family and they're like, you know, you should try like this low carb diet, this Atkins diet. And I was like, you know what, let's do it. You know, like, uh, I think it's the carbs that are bad, whatever, let's do it. So I dropped, I dropped, like I went from almost 300 pounds. I dropped pretty much almost hundred pounds. Right. And it was really quick. It was like in six months, I dropped all those 90 pounds, uh, five or six months. And then I realized that, I had developed an eating disorder, sort of like, you know, binging, uh, exercising too much, um, just very over restrictive. And I'm like, there has to be a better way. And that's when I got in the social media space and really took um, psychological health seriously, as well as physical health. And I was like, what, how do these two intertwine? Um, and that's what led me to create the page, you know, Mr. Cogfit, you know, Cogfit is cognitive fitness because I felt like that was, the first step to being physically fit, you know, if you, if you aren't mentally fit, how can you be physically fit? And then, uh, you know, I just started meeting and talking to these different people, started talking to other evidence-based people in the nutrition space. When I first got started, I started getting to the holistic bullshit. Uh, you need to eat all organic. You need to, you know, get grass fed this, 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 and this. And then I was like, this sounds too complicated, unrealistic. Like I'm a broke boy from new york like I, I can't afford organic every single fucking week so there got to be a better way and then one of my friends linked me to elaine norton uh by elaine and i got hooked from there because i wanted to be all about the science and he was about the science and that's what got me down the rabbit hole of the science and nutrition and health um really like wayne norton like that guy is amazing that was like the first account i met that was like yo he talks about the shit that i want to know about you know Sure. And then from there, I try, uh, yeah, I try to like um, just learn more and grow. You know, I don't even study nutrition or health. Like I study psychology and philosophy in college, but you know, health and nutrition are my passions. So that's what I really like talking about. Yeah, I I was a philosophy major as well. And uh, for anybody not listening, I, I my my path was law school. I took the LSATs, applied to law school, got into some law schools, and. I took a, a year off to personal train and and that was it. And my, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Family wasn't exactly thrilled with that, but it was it was my passion. But I, I think that the reason I have you on and what I think about when I think of you is like, yes, we've had good discussions about 
evidence-based nutrition, the science, the research. But we've also had really good discussions about, you know, how to argue to convince and how to navigate maybe, you know, quote unquote arguments. And I don't mean arguments and we're going to define that in a second. I don't mean that in terms of like attacking other people on the internet, but I mean, navigating mm -hmm. those, those interactions with other people on internet, the internet with opposing viewpoints and like how to help, you know, how, how to identify uh, uh, proper arguments and, and, and logical fallacies and arguments that are made, whatever it is, it's an ad hominem or it's, it's an appeal to emotion. And it's a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today, but it's like helping me, honestly, and you've helped me quite a bit is identify some of those, uh, those flaws that can be very, very tricky. Um, and if you're not paying close attention, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, they can be very, very convincing. So I've always uh, appreciated your you coming from that, that philosophy background, um, that that arguing to convince background. And, and honestly, that's what we're going to talk about today, for sure. Um, we're going to talk about, we can kind of jump into our first question here is like, what is a logical fallacy? Why are they so common? in general, but also especially in nutrition. And what are some yeah. of the common ones that we often see that people can look out for? We don't need to answer all those at the same time. Let's start with what is a logical fallacy? So I think another good question to ask when we talk about fallacies in general, you need to understand what is logic itself. Um, so essentially in a nutshell, this is a gross oversimplification, but it's the study of arguments. How do we argue? How do, how do, uh, how does our speech dictate argument how our words work in a sense in the forms that they work in um it, it's a complicated rabbit hole but i encourage people that are listening to look into the actual field of logic this gives you a way better understanding of what the fallacies are uh, fallacies themselves are errors in reasoning and in argument um you know as implied i'm sure a lot of people can figure that out but that's what it really is. And there's two different types of logical fallacies, actually, and most people don't know this. So there's the formal fallacies, which people are really not familiar with. And then there's the informal fallacies, which are the ones that you mentioned. Um, so the formal fallacies are the ones pertaining to the actual form of the argument. So it, it's hard to explain over a podcast, but just know that the argument has a structure and the structure is can I curse on here? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. The, the structure is fucked up. So that means the conclusion is fucked up because right. you need premises to get to a conclusion, right? Yep. So you can't just come to a conclusion out of nowhere. You need premises. Right. And if the premises are fucked up, the conclusion will be fucked up and the whole argument's fucked up. The informal fallacies are more, more so uh, errors in reasoning itself. So I, like you mentioned, the ad hominem, I'm attacking the speaker and not the argument. Uh, that is fallacious reasoning because that person can be an awful human being, but they can have a totally valid and true argument. So I'm kind of detracting from the, the major points. It's irrelevant. Who they are is irrelevant. Of course, there's, uh, um, there's legitimate reasons to use the fallacies, which is another thing people don't know about. But for the most part, it's irrelevant to stake your claim on certain things for your argument because it just doesn't make any sense. It's a bad argument. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and when we talk about why they're so common, uh, it was just jotting a couple of notes down. And I'd love to get your take on it. It seems to me as I, I honestly, you, if you open up Lane's Instagram or whatever, like Mark Hyman's Instagram, which is the counter, mm -hmm. the counter, um, example, like there's log logical fallacies everywhere. If you scroll down the comments, it's sickening. Um, yeah. and, and what I get from that is that Logical fallacies, especially in nutrition, we'll talk about why maybe nutrition lends itself more to this, 
are so common because it's just easier. It's You can be lazier. Um, it sounds convincing. It doesn't require critical thinking. It requires a very low threshold amount of in intellect and brain power. Um, and I mm -hmm. think... I think at the core, we all understand if I were to take that person who says, and we'll go into, again, like ad hominem and stuff in a, in a minute, and you were to take that argument and give them an example of it in another context, they would agree with you. This is not a valid argument, but when it comes to nutrition, yeah. it tends to be just the easy way out. It tends to sound convincing. It's lazy. And 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 this is something that I want to get across, certainly on this podcast, and then I want to hear your take on this. Like Most people aren't actually arguing to get closer to the truth. Like They are arguing to win. They are arguing to confirm their own bias. They're not arguing, and, and it was funny, again, arguing in the true sense of the word does not mean kind of what it means colloquially, where it means like we're, we're attacking each other. It means we're literally having a yeah. discussion um, based on, on different reasonings, hoping to get closer to the truth. And if that is the context in which we're having a discussion, it, everybody wins. We get closer to the truth. We use logical arguments back and forth, and, and, and hopefully with each counterpoint, we get closer to the truth. But that's not what the point is most of the time when you scroll through, for example, just somebody's comment section who posts about calories in, calories out. You're going to see logical fallacies left and right, and these people aren't actually looking to get closer to the truth. They're looking to attack. They're looking to try and win. They're looking to confirm their biases. So it, it, there's a whole bunch of, it's like, you ever seen like Shrek, you know, with the onions and the layer analogy, <laughs> there's so many layers to unpeel here. It, it, it will be insanely, uh, it, it would take all day. But I think the major points that you hit on is that it, it's easier to commit the fallacies because it takes less processing. It's a heuristic. So it's very simple and easy to do. You don't need much mental bandwidth to say, oh, this person is stupid. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. So I'm not going to listen to them. It, it, I, I just did it right there, right? I just said like, Jordan, I don't like your glasses. You know what? I'm not going to fucking listen to you. Boom. That's a fallacy. I just committed right there. You know, it's super easy to do. It doesn't take much mental bandwidth. And another thing too is with the volatile nature of social media and people wanting attention, their messages become more and more divisive. So even if they know the argument itself is not good, they make it regardless because they want that reaction. They want that attention or they want that confirmation bias. They're, they're trying to be in a particular group and fit in. And um, I was reading this, this one book about denial uh, and motivated reasoning, and they made the perfect point. You don't need to be correct to be in a group. You don't need to be correct to thrive and be in a group, right? I don't need to be correct to be at the, t the the tip top of a group as far as the social tier. So I will believe whatever the group believes if I want acceptance, if I want to belong to them. Um, and this is where you have that fallacious thinking. It's like a stew. It's like a recipe for disaster. And social media is like that stew, right? It, it's like the algorithm, the accounts, the, the 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 comments you know it just all feeds into each other and then when you try to speak up you're shut down automatically you know you're attacked and who has fucking all day to be arguing with everybody no one does totally. no one on this fucking platform does so this is some just some of the problems that persist and the reasons why people use fallacies in the first place um and i think a lot of times most of the time people are so unintentionally using it because they're just not aware that these are errors and reason. This is not the way to think. Most people, I'm sure, whether they go to high school, college, whatever, they don't take a class in logic. They don't take a class in critical thinking. They don't understand the validity of science. They don't understand the errors in going against science just because. You know, they don't 
understand that. Yeah, agreed. And uh, the more the more I get fired up about uh, uh, continuing this conversation, I do want to kind of make sure that if there's somebody listening who doesn't actually isn't actually aware of what some of those common fallacies are, that we can go through mm-hmm. them and then let's circle back around because I think that discussion about tribalism and and trying to be part of group part of a group and then and then like you said where in social media is a stew that is not based on like you don't get points for being more right you don't get points for being closer to the truth you don't get points for logical reasoning you get points for polarization and for mm-hmm. you know whatever for can- eye candy and, and a lot of things that aren't necessarily what some people are there for which is to get closer to the truth so maybe we could break down obviously i'm sure you've written some down that we want to discuss today i have some as well but i think the first one I'd like to discuss and, and hear maybe just what it is. And then either of us can throw an example of, you know, something that we think the listener might've heard before is a straw man. Yeah. So you want me to explain what it is first, right? What is the straw man fallacy? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's usually when you take a, a, a when someone makes an argument um, and you can't directly attack the argument itself. So you make up a weaker argument based off of that argument. So it's like a clone of the initial argument but it's weak it's a weaker form and you're essentially attacking that weaker form and it's called like a straw man because it's like there's you and instead of attacking you i attack a scarecrow right next to you and it i pretend like that it's you. you yeah exactly and it looks like you i'm not attacking you i'm attacking the scarecrow but everyone thinks that i'm attacking you so that's essentially what a straw man is in a nutshell um, the, the, the issue with the straw man, like people use it all the time. They do, but, but it doesn't, it's not used every single, in every single case. There's a lot of different fallacies that go into that couldn't resemble a straw man. And a straw man is usually used in conjunction with other fallacies. So it's something people need to be aware of. And would, you I, want me to give an example? Yeah. I would also interject that, um, I think this, the straw man is, just to kind of reiterate what you said, it's in, in an attempt to like continue to win the argument instead of actually mm-hmm. arguing against the point you just made. I'm arguing against the point you didn't make. Um, and it might sound yeah. very similar to the point you make. And I might you I might manipulate my language in a in a, a as I reflect what you said to kind of sound a lot like what you said, but imply something different. And I attack that argument differently. And what I will say is it it. It happens knowingly, of course. Uh, uh, it, it happens knowingly where it's from a manipulative, manipulative place where I know what I'm doing and I know you didn't actually say that, but I can't counter what you are saying. So instead, I'm going to make up something that sounds very similar that a third party can't discern the difference between, and I'll argue against that. And it mm-hmm. definitely happens knowingly, but it also sometimes happens unknowingly, I'd say. And I guess if it is happening unknowingly, it might not technically be a fallacy, but um, it might just be a misunderstanding of the point. And I think that that's okay. That that certainly happens. And and if that is happening, then it doesn't require somebody to be attacked for it. And I think later in the discussion, we'll talk about what to do when we see some of these things in practice. But it happens knowingly from a manipulative place. It can also happen oh unknowingly from a misunderstanding of the point. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it, will, it ultimately boils down to the framing of the straw man, right? Because. Is the difference between me assuming what you mean and attacking that and asking for clarification. So if let's say, for instance, uh, you say, you know, you could count your calories to lose weight. And then I, I just assume, oh, so you're saying that I can eat only Pop-Tarts and Skittles all day and I'll be totally healthy and totally fine. That's not what you said, but I'm just assuming that's what you said. 
if you said that and I said, okay, you know, does that mean I can have this, this, and this in my diet? I'm asking for clarification. That's a totally different approach. Yeah. Totally different. And people miss that. Yeah. They just go with the assumption. They jump to the next level. They jump to conclusions. Um, and they're not seeking to learn and know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and they, don't, just, they don't want to know. And just to kind of uh, reiterate what you said, you, you gave the best example literally ever. My favorite example is somebody saying, hey, as long as you're in a deficit, let's say, as long as you're in a calorie deficit, you'll lose fat. As long as you cap your calories and you're in a deficit, you lose fat. And the straw man argument would be a counter of somebody saying, you know, and I've said this on my Instagram and I've had people say this in response. They'll say, oh, so you're saying, you know, if I just eat Twinkies, uh, I'll be perfectly healthy. I'll be fine. And that is not what that, that is not what I said. I said, if you count calorie, if you count your calories, you're in a deficit, you'll lose fat. And it was in the context of losing fat. And that is a fact. Mm -hmm. And if you tell, if you counter with, Oh, so you're saying if I eat nothing but Twinkies or an even an even better example is somebody saying, oh, so you're saying if I eat nothing but Twinkies or I eat a perfectly balanced diet with high protein and veggies and fruits, like it's the same thing. So I did not say that. I said a calorie deficit yeah, is required for fat loss. And if you count your calories and you're in a deficit, you lose fat. And so a lot of times you'll see and that's likely like I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that person's just misunderstanding, but mm -hmm. just trying to in that moment understand what the person is actually saying and not, you know, that's not a counter to that argument. And a lot of times that's a very good example of something that everybody has seen. You'll see your favorite influencers say, hey, calorie deficit, calorie deficit, calorie deficit. That does not mean you, there are, you know, you will achieve the same level of health with any avenue and any amount of a deficit, with any nutrient quality, with any food composition. Like there is a ton of context there. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, really good example of a straw man. Love that one for sure. Yeah, bro, I, I got pretty much into an eating disorder because of low carb. Like, I'm not going to say that low carb is going to cause you to get into an eating disorder. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, that that's another uh, conversation we have with anecdotes. But, you know, it's just like you're making it's it's an assumption. You're making an assumption about something that wasn't said. Yeah. So you're just assuming, um, you know, and essentially that's always fallacious because you're detracting from the main argument. You're not addressing the major points and you're ultimately trying to attack something that's not there in order to win and look right. Um, and we see this constantly, but I had other fallacies if you want yeah, yeah. to, to I, talk about them. For sure. Go, go ahead and give us the next one. I have a couple more as well. We'll go back and forth. So I think another major one that people really need to understand is appeal to authority. Yeah. Wonderful. So appeal to Get authority. Um, so this one is pretty much when the speaker elicit some type of authority in the conversation in order to suggest that they're right or correct uh, or, or better in some circumstances than you. My other favorite word for this is also appeal to unqualified authority. I think that one's a little bit more elaborative. It gives you a better sense of what to think about in the nutrition space. So when people are like medical doctors, naturopaths, um, whatever other profession, engineers nowadays, uh, and they claim that they're experts in nutrition, they're not qualified in that space because they first, a lot of medical doctors don't take a lot of nutrition courses. Um, you know, they aren't involved with the research process. Um, their specialty has nothing to do with nutrition or, you know, like lifestyle, for, let's say like, yeah, lifestyle, whatever. Like it has nothing really to do with that sense. And they often invoke their authority to say that they're right, you know, when they're not an authority in that space. 
So, you know, Dr. Mark Hyman can sit there and say that carbs are going to give you cancer. First of all, that's fucking wrong. Second of all, he's not really qualified to tell you what nutrients does what, because that's not his training. He's, he's a medical doctor. I'm not sure what specialty he has, but that's not his wheelhouse. That's not his space, you know? And another, another aspect to appeal of authority is it's insufficient for evidence many times when a people, when a person is actual authority and actual expert in the space, they can provide you with evidence. So them saying, Oh, I'm a doctor or how many patients have you seen is not a valid counter argument when you're asking for evidence. If I'm saying back up your claim that, you know, carbs are going to give you cancer. And Mark Hyman says, well, I'm a doctor. That doesn't mean shit. It doesn't back up the point that he made that carbs cause cancer. You need actual evidence to back up statements of fact, um, not your job title or your degree sure. or credential. Would you also say that? Okay. So, so the, an appeal to authority would be an authority themselves utilizing that mm -hmm. that status as sufficient evidence for their claim, which it is not. Um, but I also think that there's a, a another ex uh, you know context in which this happens where it's not necessarily. I don't want to keep picking on Mark Hyman, although I would kind of love to. Um, it's not necessarily that person asserting their authority. It's also a third party using that person's expertise or their their label their mm -hmm. qualifications as evidence so it's i find that yes it's it's coming from that person that is also appealed to authority but it's also me saying you know uh um you know, like carb you know whatever car, uh, low carb high fat if, if you know whatever if all if calories and protein are equated then fat loss will be relatively the same you know whatever given individuality and somebody says no this person said that and mm -hmm. that also in in, in, a, in a slightly different context it's not necessarily that person saying it but it's you using that person's words as evidence because they are an authority or an unqualified authority. And I think that that happens all the fucking time where you'll have be having yeah. an argument and somebody's counter argument will be, well, no, 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 this person said that. And that person saying something has nothing to do with the validity of what they said. There is a difference between the person who's saying it and what is being said. And we have to look at that argument itself and validate it. Not it, like you said, it just, it, for, for those who are kind of understanding the context here, it's not sufficient that this person said it. That is not sufficient yeah. to make it true. Um, agreed. Agreed. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Super exactly. Common. And then the, the, like a good example with this is Jason Fong and the obesity code. This gets thrown a lot around on Twitter. And it's like Jason Fong is first not a nutrition expert. First, you know, second is, in, is incorrect with a lot of the things that he stated. The evidence just doesn't support a lot of what he stated and the third like you just said um his title as far as being a medical doctor does not by itself validate his claims about nutrition you know if you're making factual statements about nutrition you need to have the facts with you with you you can't just say oh well i'm a doctor so i could because then anybody could state anything about nutrition and just invoke their job title sure right so, so like, you know, you could just say, I, I, you know, I got a degree, so I'm correct about X, Y, and Z. Yep. It doesn't make you correct. Good luck. Do that. Go, go to, go, like, go to court, like <laughs> get into any type of legal trouble, trouble and let your lawyer just say, you know, judge, I'm a lawyer. So, you know, my client isn't guilty. You're right. Exactly. We're, we're, yeah, we're yeah. fucking good. Yeah. Like go to fucking court with that bullshit. You're going to be fucking laughed at, uh, you know, or, or. Funny, sorry to interject there. Funny story actually yeah, that's right. was in Toronto once uh, visiting friends and 
heard Jason Fung speak about, you know, whatever, fasting. Uh, fasting is, you know, superior to, you know, continuous caloric restriction. Um, and I asked him a question. Um, I asked him, you know, what he thought would happen in two separate contexts, calorie and protein equated across time, same deficit. Um, and he he told me that he would need to first he said, I, you know, not enough context. I would need to know, you know, the, the carbohydrate quality content of the diet. And he totally straw manned. He countered my question. And he, I don't know if this is necessarily straw man. He just straight up answered a different question, avoided it, and then never called on me for a follow-up. So it just was like, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, he spoke for out of what was an hour and, and, and just absolutely, um, blew my mind at the amount of manipulation of words and studies and conclusions and lack of recognition of confounding variables. It just was mind boggling. My head was hurting. I asked him one question, totally <laughs> circumnavigated that question and went on to somebody else who was like, uh, oh my God. yeah, it was a good time. He's a, he's a hoot, man. He cracks me up. Um, let's, let's, um, let's move on. I think straw man and appeal to authority were like two of the top four or five that I had. And I'd like to get through at least five of these. Um, I think yeah, we should yeah, move yeah. to. I think we should move to ad hominem. Um, and and, yeah. and go ahead. Give us a give us a, a little breakdown of what it is, and then we'll kind of give some context for people floating around the Instagram sphere. Okay, so there's three different forms of the ad hominem. I'm not I'm not sure if everybody's aware of that. Um, I'll go over two. So there's the ad hominem direct and circumstantial. What ad hominem means is when pretty much you attack the speaker instead of the speech. So I attack. Like the example I gave earlier, Jordan, I don't like your glasses, so you're wrong. Um, no matter what you say, right? That's ad hominem. I'm attacking you as a person while circumventing the argument itself. And whether or not you're a good person, like you could be a terrible human being, but you could say something totally correct. So the arg I need to focus on the argument itself. I can't just focus on you. That what I just said there with attacking your glasses is the ad hominem direct when you directly attack the person you're speaking to. Now, ad hominem circumstances what we see all the time when you use someone's circumstances as a way to say that they're incorrect. We see this all the time with big pharma arguments, um, conspiracy theories. Oh, you're paid off by this specific industry, so therefore you're wrong or this study was funded by, you know, a pharmaceutical company or a big agricultural company or dairy company or whatever. So you're attacking the circumstances of whatever you're talking about to say that it's incorrect when that's not necessarily the case. You could be paid off by big pharma and be totally, have a totally valid, valid argument. You know, that, that, that's a logical possibility. Like that's possible, you know? So your circumstances really have nothing to do with the weight of your argu argument or the validity of your claims, um, unless you could prove otherwise. Yeah, I think if you I think if you want to see that homonym, go to any comment section. And honestly, the more I look at the the notes I made, you can you can see all of these all over any comment section. But it's a matter of like mm -hmm. here here's here's that homonym on Instagram. It's somebody posts something, somebody else comments on it with a counter. Um, somebody third party counters on that first comment, and then somebody like clicks on somebody's profile and sees something in their bio, and it's like, oh, that that you, you, I'm not you you have you have an avocado in your profile, thus you're biased and thus uh, you, that's it. No way. You just can't under, I can't agree with what you're saying. And, or like you click on somebody's picture and they're like, oh, 
your girlfriend's ugly. So I'm just, that's it. So I can't listen to what you're saying about nutrition. And that always, you'll see it. I don't know how many, I'm sure it's like four comments with like a two standard deviation. At some point, somebody will click on someone else's profile and look at something that has nothing to do with anything and be like, ah, dude's a, dude's a Cardinals fan. Are you kidding? Like if I could listen to this guy. Um, I just find that hysterical. If you, I, I sometimes I'm caught in that rabbit hole where I'm just like, at some point someone's going to, or like the, your, your Instagram handle and I'm like, and, yep. and I do it all the time. If I see that you have keto underscore biohacker underscore fasting, <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay level and not assume a bias here. But it's, uh, you know, there's always like the. I'm not going to just write that person off necessarily within my context. But I'm obviously going to register that this person has a preconceived bias. But um, but yes, yeah, you see it all all the time. It's hysterical. Yeah, so it, it's it's really hilarious when people like I get into discussions with people and they're like, "Oh, you're you're fat." Yeah, another like, good one. I'm like, bro, like, do you, are you like with me? Like, do you see me? Like, do you know my body comp? Like, do you know my body fat percentage? Where you like, come from? Like, yeah, like, do you, do you even know where I live at? Like, you're 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 assuming things about me, but you're you're not even there with me. You don't even know my health status. You're not there when I go to my physicals, and even then, why are you so like? This is what gets me. Well, like people. Usually it's guys, right? They're so concerned with how another man looks. And it's like, why? Like, why do you care if I have six-pack abs? Uh, six-pack abs do not mean that a person is correct about nutrition or health. For sure. So it, it's, it's, it's really hilarious. Uh, and I think another, just, an, uh, just a segue to another good fallacy that I'm sure that you've heard of. Uh, if you, you want to talk about the, the ad hominem, I'm down to do that. But I want them to mention the red herring. Yeah, good good segue. Go ahead. Yeah, so when you mention something that's irrelevant to the argument itself to kind of throw people off, because um, the red herring was shit. I think it was a fish yep. that they used to throw yep. uh, to get dogs off the scent. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, yep. A distraction. So th those are, yeah, distraction, essentially. So it's it's often confused with the straw man uh so it's not the difference between a straw man and a red herring is a, and from my view is that a red herring is not an assumption you're just bringing something totally like up that's has nothing to do with the conversation to get the conversation going in a different direction yeah so if you're attacking me i'm a low carb zealot i'm a, a keto fasting zealot whatever and i'm going to bring up something completely irrelevant but what about the obesity epidemic oh, yeah. right yeah you know, like, so you'll be asking like, yo, you know, the, the insulin amount of obesity is not true. This is now you make all your valid points, but I'm like, what about diabetes in the country? That has nothing to do with the original <laughs> conversation. I'm like, what about diabetes? What about obesity? How, how are we supposed to solve that? Like, you know? Yeah, for sure. So that, that's, that's a classic example, but yeah. um, I'm sure if you want to talk about that, you know. No, I think that, that I think that, it, they, I think that the, for you and me, it's fun to talk about, okay, is it a red herring? Is it a straw man? I think for I think if you like, you could look at straw mans and you could look at you know uh, um, ad hominems and and they can feel irrelevant to you. And and more than anything, like you don't the listener, you don't need to be able to discern is it a straw man, is it a ad hominem. You need to or a red herring. Like you need to decide is this is this person coherently and logically reasoning against that argument. And whether it falls in the irrelevant category or the ad hominem attacking the person category or in the straw man like a misconception or a misreflection of the person's argument. Like I want you to come away from this recognizing that it is it might be an argument against something irrelevant. You might be trying to derail the conversation. You might be manipulating your word choice 
to win the argument instead of actually trying to constructively get to the to the truth. And I think red herring is definitely one that happens all the time. I think I, I don't even want to tell you whose page I was on the other day lurking, um, made a couple of little comments and saw underneath it. And I was like, nobody has even answered my question. We're on to new topics. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that that's quite often the case where exactly like you said, um, it was a post on, um, I don't recall, but it was something very similar to like, okay, it was, we're talking about lipid profiles and someone's like, oh, well, mm -hmm. you know, this and LDL cholesterol association with, with, uh, testosterone and, and muscle growth. And we were, I was like, this is not at all the context in what we're discussing. Like, and so exactly. look out for that. Like, yeah. And it's always cool to see where these came from because when you think of a red herring and what it what where it originated and it was that fish that was sent uh to make the dogs like lose their uh scent um it becomes so obvious when this does happen when people are derailing they are trying to distract you they're not arguing to get to a closer point to the truth they're arguing to win or to derail you or to attack you and and it's unfortunate because in a world where and I think at some point later in a bit, I want a couple a couple more fallacies. We'll circle back around to like why this is so common in nutrition. But um, yeah, yeah, people people aren't interested in the truth as much as they are interested in being right. Um, I yeah. think I think a good one to move to next would be a false dichotomy, uh, false dilemma. Um, yep. And I then we can give some examples of that. Go ahead. So it's when you present the audience with only two choices when there's actually more choices. So this is a simple: Are you with me or are you against me? You're either cheating or you're not cheating. You know, like there's there's just no in between. There's only two choices when in reality there could be more possibilities. We see this all the time. You're either, um, you know, going keto or you're doing a suboptimal diet. You know, you're either uh, in eating animals and saving the planet or you're not and you're a fucking piece of shit. You know, you, you see this all the time with many of these groups because I'm, you know, talking about veganism a little bit because I don't want to bash only on keto, um, but there's just a lot of, false dichotomies that this is either good or bad this is either helpful or not helpful this is either healthy or unhealthy uh this is a, a lot of times this particularly affects food choices in the nutrition space people, people will label foods as good or bad without context that's a major one where you'll see this um especially those dumbass infographics this is a good food this is a bad food that's fucking it's fucking stupid yeah for sure yeah <laughs> That's a good, that's a, a perfect example of false dichotomy of good and bad foods, lacking context, providing only two examples, you know, vegan or carnivore, you know, your, your keto or your low carb, um, with me or against me. And a lot of times it, people don't realize that nine, literally everything is on a spectrum. And if, if mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you're, you're counting calories meticulously to the gram or you're intuitive eating and there's no spectrum, there is a spectrum. False dichotomies happen all the time and if you feel like you're being pressured into one of two extremes chances are whoever's presenting those things to you is doing it on purpose and isn't giving you the 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 whole depth of the op opportunities in front of you because it's just like we said it's easier it's lazier um it, it fits their bias it, it it helps them feel like they're part of a group a lot of those like biological evolutionary things that we as humans run on comes and 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 and, and kind of shows itself when we talk about nutrition for sure absolutely yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah, that was a really good one. Um, but yeah, I'm all pooped out. I have like one more, but like 
it's it's an easy one. We probably go to <laughs> we know all the major ones. Well, I think the last one I would like to do, and then we're going to use it to segue into we want to talk a little bit about correlation causation would be the causal fallacy. Yes. Um, yes. And then we'll kind of segue that into into the difference between causation and correlation, and kind of where we see some of that that issue come up in the research. Yeah. Um, from my understanding, uh, if I'm assuming that this is the fallacy that I think it is. Uh, fallacy pertaining to causality is that um, there's usually an event uh, and that's usually uh, yeah, precedes. happens. Yeah. Precedes, yeah, yeah, that was the word I was looking for. Gotcha. Precedes another event yeah. and then you just assume that both of them are causally linked and related. Yeah. So you get sick, you take the supplement, you start feeling better, you think that the supplement cured your illness. And we could clearly see there's I- issues with that because yeah. you just can't assume because it's so complicated and complex. Um, and that's a particular situation, but like, if you want to elaborate more on that one. Yeah. I think, I think that a lot of times when somebody commits a causal fallacy, it's, uh, yeah, it's a misinterpretation or misunderstanding of, of, like you said, an event and that preceded another event. So maybe you went keto and then you felt better or you, um, mm-hmm. you know, started, uh, taking, like you said, starting taking a supplement and then you started building muscle or, um, you know, you started taking a supplement, you started sleeping better and, and, and sometimes or oftentimes what you're really saying is there was a correlation or an association. Um, and yeah. the, the, the difference, you know, on a base level of causality and being a correlation or association is that these causal means one thing caused the other and that they are mechanistically linked and that the, mm-hmm. the, the outcome would not have happened if not for the premise. Right. And often what we see is I'm sure people listening to this have heard this said, and maybe not don't have a full understanding correlation does not imply causation and that and i do want to talk about how correlation is not worthless um but it doesn't equal causation you can't determine causality just based on correlation um i feel like this happens a lot in nutrition research and a lot of research and i'd love to hear you your discussion uh, or your viewpoint of where you know correlation does not equal causation comes up in the research and then how maybe, and we can talk about how it kind of plays out on a ground level with, you know, people like you and me disseminating information. Yes. So I'll be the first to admit when it comes to correlational research, I'm working on getting better at reading them. Um, As far as epidemiological studies, you know, studies looking at different associations between disease and nutrition, um, observational research in general, but usually uh, this type of research is, you know, you get a whole bunch of people, you survey them, and then you start connecting dots based on those surveys, tests, whatever. If you take bio, biomarkers, you take you draw blood or whatever may have you, and you try to connect that with um, usually like the, the quote unquote tests that I just mentioned before are records of eating for nutrition specifically. We're we're talking about nutrition observational studies, so you're trying to connect dots between um, disease and nutrition usually. Now, the issue with stuff like that, especially chronic illnesses, they take years down the line to happen. You don't become, uh, you don't get diabetes overnight. You don't get cardiovascular disease overnight. So it takes a long time. So this is why we have to use observational studies because we can't do a long-term 15-year RCT where we have, you know, uh, placebo, double-blind, everything's controlled for. That's just not possible. It's not feasible. So you often look at people, connect dots, um, try to adjust for confounding variables. And confounding variables means any variable that would uh, sort of play a role in the findings of the study. So let's say, for example, you're looking at heart disease and diet, right? 
uh, the confounding factor would be if that person smokes or not, you yeah. know, because we know smoking can cause, you know, lung cancer is connected to lung cancer. Um, so that's what a confounder is. And the issue with the correlation, like I just mentioned, the confounder is that we don't know what caused what, because there's so many different confounders, there's multiple different confounders. Your lifestyle has so many different variables that affect you, where you live at, uh, your habits, what you do, your physical activity. There's so many things that go into it. So you can't just look at A and B and say A caused B because we see in this observational study, because B could have been affected by Y, Z, G, E. It could have been affected by multiple different factors. Um, And that's what we usually mean. And I I think I want to go over this when it comes to association. I I pulled my book out for this one. So when it comes to uh, X and Y, let's say these two variables, X may cause Y, or another possibility is Y may cause Z, or X and Y may be the result of another variable called Z, or they might not be related at all. You could just see things by coincidences. Coincidences, coincidences do happen in observational research all the time. Um, and we could clearly pick out associations from thin air if we really wanted to. Yep. I think, uh, I a lot there, sorry. No, it's good. I appreciate <laughs> it. That's, that's why you're here. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, if, if people are listening, aren't necessarily familiar with the difference between observational research and like an RCT or something, but observational mm-hmm. research is like you said, you give somebody like a food frequency questionnaire and you ask them how many times they eat beef and eggs and, 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 and bread and whatever. And you take that information across large populations. And then you see over time, like, you know, the people who ate, who checked off meat more, or are they dying more? Are they getting this disease more? And we start to associate and correlate certain things. Mm-hmm. And just because, and, and I think the, 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 up, the, uh, example that comes to mind is that can also kind of, uh, bring to light some of those confounding variables is like, research of, of, of vegans versus meat eaters and, and cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And we tend to see that meat eaters get cardiovascular disease more. And vegans tend to have a lot of, when it comes to observational research, they tend to come out really high, really well. And what what the confounding variable that is that is massively overlooked is this healthy eater bias where like meat eaters might also on the whole across massive populations, we're not talking about within a controlled study, I'm talking about across nations and, and the world, they might smoke more. They might exercise less of that meat. How much of that is 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 bologna and 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 salami, and how much of that is you know grass fed, grass finished, pasture raised, uh, organic chi- like uh, uh, organic chicken, uh, pasteurized eggs? Like we're not we're not filtering those those variables out. And so if you take large populations of vegetarians, vegans versus meat eaters, you might find that the vegetarians and the vegans they they die less of cardiovascular disease. That does not mean that their diet is superior to anybody eating meat, but it does leave a clue. Um, it, it does, and, and the way I've, I've been taught to kind of look at that observational research is it kind of points us in a direction of further research. And if you, yeah. if you test, a, 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 across a large population, you find out that, you know, uh, uh, higher, uh, and again, these studies have all been done, like super high con- consumptions of fat might be correlated with like, okay, that doesn't mean that it caused that outcome. It means that we might need to look further in this direction here. Um, and, and going back to that, like ve- vegan, vegetarian versus meat eater, like, it, it, it turns out, and it makes somewhat perfect sense, that across large populations, vegans and vegetarians tend to also be more health-seeking individuals. It's more likely that that vegan population, on the whole, 
uh, uh, eats more fiber, right? Eats more cruciferous, cruciferous vegetables, more nutrients. Maybe they exercise more. Yeah. They smoke less. They drink less. They sleep more. Like all of these variables that go into things like cardiovascular disease and other, you know, comorbidities and stuff like that. Um, and that gets lost when you just look at something like meat eaters versus not meat eaters. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a useless study. It doesn't mean observational research and, and correlations are useless. It just means they can't imply causation and it requires further uh, uh, study, more controlled studies that can actually uh, uh, um, come to a, a causative conclusion. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you hit on some really good points. And I think the most helpful way to think about behavior as far as, I don't want to say unhealthy and healthy, but like unhelpful for yeah. your health yeah. And oh, health, health your promoting, health. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Health promoting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a better term for it. Um, behaviors often cascade. So if I'm eating a high amount of refined sugar, I'm probably not physically active. If, if I'm not physically active, I'm probably eating a lot of uh, processed foods. If I'm eating a lot of processed foods, I'm probably going to gain weight because it's probably going to lead me into a caloric surplus. So there's a lot of different factors there, right? I probably smoke, I probably drink. You know, behaviors are often non-isolation and the opposite. If I'm physically active, I probably eat more fruits and vegetables, more fiber. Um, you know, I, I I don't smoke, I don't drink yeah, really. You cook more, whatever. You know, yeah. I, I, I cook more, yeah. So the behaviors cascade. Now the issue, I think I think Alan Flanagan said it perfectly, um, as far as when it comes to human outcomes in uh, observational research. Yes, there's a lot of confounders. There's a lot that we can't control for, but oftentimes they're the best tool that we have for long-term research because we can do RCT for 20 years, yeah. unfortunately. It just sucks the way that is. And a good way to think about it is you look mechanistically, like you just said, is there biological plausibility for this specific effect? I think the biggest one that people talk about nowadays is saturated fat. Um, we know that saturated fat mechanistically, because we have metabolic ward studies, you know, we, we have animal studies, we know that it increases LDL cholesterol right. in the blood, like we just know, right? And we have that from tightly controlled studies. And it reflects in the observational research because um, when it increases LDL, LDL is causative for cardiovascular um, diseases, acrosclerosis, stuff like that. And we clearly see those who consume more saturated fat, high levels of saturated fat compared to really low levels, the high level group usually have more cardiovascular events, whatever that might be, and whatever study we're looking at. So we could clearly see that there's, it's the connection and the intertwining of all these different studies that lead to a similar result. It's a different way of looking at research. So not just this study right here is RCT, so it's fucking gold standard. No, now it's like, what are the multiple, what's the body of research right. and what is it saying and how does it converge and how does it uh, play into one another? Once you start looking at it from that lens, instead of um, observational research is bad and start looking at it from observational research is helpful in this circumstance and how does that relate to the other studies and their strengths and their weaknesses? And let's go from there. I think- I think it's- Go ahead. You can change the game with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I think I think somebody who would counter your argument about saturated fat and say, oh, and 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 we'll circle back to a fallacy here. But I think somebody would say, well, well, you know, you can be totally healthy and have high LDL, and you would say, I didn't say you can't. 
you know, I, that would be a straw man. Like you didn't, you're stating that the research on the whole across large populations has an association between more cholesterol intake, more saturated or more saturated fat cholesterol intake, increase in LDL leads to more cardiometabolic events, whatever. Um, yes, it does. And you wouldn't say, okay, yeah. that, that means you cannot physically be healthy with a high LDL. Like it, it, you can, and you, you would agree with that because health is more holistic than that. And you might say, okay, I have to look at the individual. You have a high LDL, but you also might exercise and you all might, so, might also be, you know, at a healthy, you know, relatively healthy body weight and you might sleep well and you might yeah. not smoke and you might not drink and great. Now I have this person who, you know, you know, goes against what the observational research says, fine, but it is a piece of the puzzle and we can't throw it out and it points us in the right direction and it leads us to more specific RCTs that we can use in conjunction and hopefully get to a better conclusion. The one that I, that sticks in my mind is, um, diet diet soda drinkers um and the yeah. there's a yeah. big correlation and i don't i i'm gonna butcher the outcome and i don't want to i don't want to but diet, those who drink more diet soda have more is it diabetes is it uh, uh um i'm more not more ah can we say right more, insulin more resistance uh that like it's, it's associated with diabetes obesity right. um i've seen maybe one or two about cardiovascular disease outcomes um, but it kind of plays into what we said earlier is that, you know, behaviors are cascades. Totally. That's so where I was going, those, yeah. yep. Those who probably consume more artificial sweeteners, they're probably not as active. They're probably not consuming relatively, uh, more health promoting foods. Right. They're not, uh, they're probably smoking, drinking, whatever. There, there's a lot we don't know, but they there's also, a lot we don't they, they also might be choosing diet drinks because they're trying to lose weight because of other mm -hmm. factors that don't have to do with diet soda. You might, who's drinking diet soda? Yes. A lot of, a lot of people, anybody who's trying to save calories, but there's a large percentage of the population that's probably overweight and trying to lose weight. And they might be the people consuming diet soda because they're trying to save calories and they're trying to do something you know, they're trying to make a healthier swap. And that is a totally huge confounding variable. Like, yes, diet soda drink, the people who drink diet soda get more diabetes, let's say, for example. Okay, but those people might have just recently switched to diet soda because they're trying to not spike their insulin or they're trying to save calories and they're trying to lose weight and they're trying to get healthier. Like, and so there's a huge confounding variable. And, and so I, I, again, I, yes, correlation does not imply causation. Yes, correlation is not sufficient yeah. to 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 imply causation, but it man it leaves clues, points you in the right direction, and is a crucial part of um, the overall picture. And I think Alan, Alan Flanagan's wonderful speaks on this wonderfully about just not throwing it away and not just because somebody can be and and Spencer Nadolsky as well, like just because somebody can be healthy with higher LDL doesn't mean we need to throw away the saturated fat research and say that it's fine, mm -hmm. do whatever you want. Like it does, it's not causative. Like look at all these people who are healthy with high LDL. Like it's possible, but we can't throw away this large population research because of, just because there are confounding variables, we have to take that into account and have a more nuanced, more contextual view. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think the paradigm for nutrition needs to shift more into a risk versus benefit sort of deal where we talk about risk in terms of probabilities and benefits in terms of probabilities because nothing is in a vacuum. It's not like one food, um, one drink, one workout is going to make or break your health. Um, there are definitely things that can increase risk or decrease risk of specific diseases and outcomes. Uh, so I think that is a more productive, proactive conversation, but people don't understand the nuances of this field science in general so they just think um you know we need uh x y and z studies or we need uh, this type of causality established and they don't really want to take into account the, the limitations of each 
when we talk about the hierarchy of evidence, because I know I mentioned it, when we talk about each study design and type, there there are limitations to each. There are limitations to RCTs. There are limitations to observational research, meta-analysis, systematic reviews. There's limitations to all of them. You need to accept that and work with with that. Yeah. You know, just like when you mentioned artificial sweeteners, like yeah, the observational data might suggest adverse health outcomes over time, but when you look at all like a lot of the good well-conducted rcts they don't find anything there, there's nothing really found there's no metabolic diseases found there's no there's really nothing so it's like there is something else going on here if they're if they're not matching up there's something else going on here and we need to consider that yeah um so that, that's just something people need to, to think about when we talk about observational research if it's at odds with the stronger trials as far as the RCTs, you might want to question the cascade of behaviors for the observational research, like we just said. If they match up, that's even fucking better. Yeah. Right? Because then we got the the, the long-term outcomes. Um, and we have like the longitudinal pretty much research coupled with the, the, the more tightly controlled trials. And it just makes for a, a good mesh together because yeah. they – compliment each other absolutely they really do yep agreed i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot and go off on something that you had said about the picking apart things in isolation that are either healthy or unhealthy or make you unhealthy or healthy and how it is way more holistic and contextual than that and this will just be a rant that's slightly off topic and then we'll wrap it up but um yeah i the more that i that i see the verbiage and the and the dialogue and the semantics used in this space Again, a lot of dichotomous thinking, a lot of dichotomous word choices. Um, one thing that you eat, one food, one action, one day does not – like we can't qualify those things as healthy or unhealthy. A food can't be – like if you want to say a food is unhealthy and then I eat that food, am I now unhealthy? And if the answer is yes, then we have a whole other discussion, which we'll go into in a second. But if the answer is no, then what is the point of calling that food unhealthy? And you might say, okay, because it leads me to believe that maybe not continuously eating that food or whole, wholly eating that food or eating only that food is a good idea. But let's call it what it is on a spectrum, less nutritious, less satiating. Um, we use a lot more of those qualitative uh, uh, word choices. But man, the idea that a food is healthy, good or bad, unhealthy, like if I eat that food, am I now unhealthy? And if I'm not, and the truth is you are not, like there's way more context. There's, you know, do you exercise? Do you smoke? And we talked about a lot of them today. It's this idea that a food is good or bad. Like to what end? If I have it one time, am I now unhealthy? And if the answer is no, which I, God, I freaking hope everybody listening is like, no, of course you're not just healthy because you had, I had Chick-fil-A last night. Am I now unhealthy? Like, of course not, because not only is it is nutrition just one part of health, but one meal is just one part of your overall nutrition. It's just a like a this yep. microcosm. You can't even see it across the, all the things, all the inputs for health. Um, it just it 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 irks me because if I if I say okay now I'm I had the Chick Fil A last night, am I unhealthy? Someone's like no. I'm like well, how many more times do I need to have Chick Fil A before I'm healthy? Nobody can give you a straight answer because it's there's so many other contexts the conversation has to elaborate. We have to talk about all my other habits. Um, so I know that's not necessarily where we had been going, but if you're out there and yeah. you're thinking that there are foods that are healthy and unhealthy, let me tell you, if you have one fucking uh, tree flower of broccoli, you're not all of a sudden healthy. If you have one night mm -hmm. of Chick-fil-A, you're not all of a sudden unhealthy. It's a, it's a massive conglomerate, an aggregate of all your actions across time from so many different inputs. It's not 
one food is healthy, one food is unhealthy, one food is good, one food is bad. If I eat this, I'm unhealthy. If I eat this, I'm healthy. That's just not how it works. There's way more inputs. There's way more to health than just one thing that you're eating. Yeah, definitely. I think you said it perfectly, but I think circling back to your, your initial point where we talked about correlation causation, the healthy user bias. People often bring up the healthy user bias when they're trying to defeat you know, observational studies, like people like Paul Saladino, you know, I fucking hate that guy. That guy should know I hate him. But, you know, like people like that, they, they I'll tag him. call out, <laughs> <laughs> do that shit. I fucking hate the guy. Yeah, he should know that by now. Um, but, but people like him often uh, invoke this healthy user bias. But what they're implying when they, when they cite that is that What's it the defeats this point that, so pretty much, um, like we said before, yeah. uh, people that, if we're, we're, we're testing for certain health outcomes, yep. those who consume a certain diet yep. often have other health behaviors totally. that they're gotcha. doing as well, right? For the healthy user bias. Um, the issue with that is that it implies that nutrition isn't as big of a contributor to health as people like Paul are trying to say, right? If it's truly healthy user bias, like if we're truly talking about the cascade of behaviors, if we're truly talking about the overarching pattern of health, not just nutrition, then, you know, if we're, we're saying that that dictates the findings that we're finding for observational research, then we're ultimately applying that nutrition isn't as special as we thought it was. Yeah, sure. You know, because of them, if I'm, yeah, if, I, if I'm saying that eating only meat is the best diet ever, and then when someone brings up observational research that's saying, well, that kind of disagrees with what you're just saying right now, because high fruit and vegetable intake is associated with uh, better health outcomes over Everything time. If I'm good. screaming healthy user bias, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I'm if I'm screaming healthy user bias about that piece of paper, I'm ultimately implying that health is deeper than nutrition. Yeah, totally. At the same time, while you're trying to make an argument that this nutrition choice is the cause of healthy eating of, of of healthy life, the argument does fall upon itself for sure. And for those of you guys who don't know, Paul Saldino exactly. is like ultimate carnivore uh, broadcaster, charlatan slash most annoying person of all time um and yeah okay anyway super biased ton of bias um for sure um we're coming up on time here let's wrap it up my man tell everybody where they can find you i had a wonderful chat it was a pleasure having you on we got to do it again bro awesome yeah we got to do a part two and talk about the insulin model of obesity yes, we didn't even get into that totally. so i was like a little I was a little like sad and shit. Um, <laughs> next, time find, around. <laughs> <laughs> next time around. People can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Mr.Cogfit. So it's at mr.cogfit. I'm also on Twitter at Mr. Cogfit. No dot. I'm also on TikTok. Same handle as my Instagram. And I do have a website, mrcogfit.com. Um, my blog is there. I'm going to hopefully switch that up. We're going to do something really, really cool. So uh, I think I'll announce it for your podcast first but I wanted to make a research review and this research review is going to be free. So that's something people should look out for. That's it's awesome. going to be released soon. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah that's great. I, I think that re, um, I just had Alan Aragon. So it's gonna be a tough follow up there. Um, but um, just for, <laughs> for those of you guys that kind of heard some of the words we threw around observational research, randomized control trials, like correlation causation, all that stuff. If it sounded like gibberish, man, you're going to need, you know, and first of all, we've all been there and I'm not somebody who sits uh, mm -hmm. uh, on my computer reading research all day. I subscribe to a number of research reviews so that I can have that more digestible information. Um, and I've known you for a long time, man. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. I'll be your first, uh, first subscriber. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's going to be dope. Nice. It's going to be real dope. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. So um, appreciate appreciate you guys listening. It's been a really fun episode and I'll see you guys next time. Yeah.